want you to know that I love my family. Like, I dearly love my wife. I love my kids. I love my kids so much that sometimes I just think about, like, really horrible things happening to them. Like, that's crazy. It's parenting. Worrying is like a big part of what I do, right? Like, I love my kids so much that it's so hard not to just think of bad things happening and worrying about those things. So since misery loves company, I want to invite you into my world, all right? So even if you don't have kids, I want you to think about, man, maybe it's your parents, somebody you dearly love. I want you to think about, man, what is kind of the worst thing that you could hear about them or from them. Great, it's going to be one of those sermons. It'll be over soon. Hang in, all right? Imagine just kind of getting that call, you know, like, hey, Mrs. Brown, this is the school. Sorry, I looked at you right when I said it. I don't mean to project on you. But, like, imagine getting that call, hey, this is the school calling. Right, you know, some of you have got that call, And, like, what's the worst thing that you could hear after that? Or maybe, you know, your kid's out of school. You get that call from your son. Hey, Dad, I I feel like I've known for a long time. I don't know how to tell you. I think I'm a Michigan fan. Why? You know, like, what's the worst thing that you could fathom just hearing that, like, you don't know how to deal with, right? Obviously, I'm being a little bit silly, but some of you have gotten those phone calls. Hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but we were in your kid's locker, and we found, would it be pornography? Find out that your kid is hooked on drugs. Maybe even that dreaded call, there's been an accident. We need you to get I don't say that just to torture you. Because that kind of worst thing, whatever that is for you, we're about to find out in the book of Galatians what is the worst possible thing that Paul could fathom hearing from this church. So Paul traveled around this region of Galatia, planted churches, moved on, and he gets wind, and he finds out the worst possible news he could about them. Why don't you think about what do you think that is? Are they getting into child sacrifice? Like, what happened? Because you're about to see unparalleled language and passion from Paul as he dives into this letter. There's a lot of bad things. I'm not saying those things don't matter. I'm talking about what matters most. And you're about to find out because of Paul's unparalleled passion, you're about to see what is most important to him as he looks at his spiritual children. So we're going to dive into that together. It's only our second week. We're still in Galatians 1. We're going to be in verse 6 if you're following along on your own Bibles. But as always, I'll put it on the screen and you could follow along as I read. So this is Galatians 1, picking it up in verse 6. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I mean, part of that accursed just, you know, sounds kind of like a churchy word. He even repeats it. I mean, that is condemning them to hell, to the wrath of God. You're like, Paul, isn't that a little out of hand? He's like, no, I didn't stutter. Let me repeat it. I hope that they fall under the wrath of God. Man, this is strong language that we get here. Part of kind of where we're at in this letter, it's kind of like, man, Paul plants this church. He feels like, okay, maybe they're old enough to kind of be on their own, and so he takes off. You maybe remember that time when you got to that age? And maybe you got to those teen years where finally, you know, your parents were like, okay, are you old enough for me to trust you? You know, mom and I are going to go for the weekend. And they leave for that weekend trip, and they come back, and clearly there was like a massive party. And it's like that moment where parents come back, and they're like, what happened? There's a tiger in the bathroom. Like, what happened while we were gone? This is crazy. That's kind of the moment we find ourselves in this letter. Paul is astonished. Part of what we're going to walk through, it's similar to what my dad walked me and my brother and friends through after he caught us shooting, you know, rocks out of our window with a slingshot. So he comes up, you know, we're all teenagers. Hey, are you guys mature enough for me to leave you alone? We're like, yes. He walked downstairs. We're like, do you want to shoot rocks out the window with a slingshot? We're like, yes. I'm not condoning it. I'm just telling you what happened. So we're like firing, you know, you know, rocks out our window. We hit a car. The owner of the car was in the car. I didn't know that part. So he sees where we're shooting, you know, the house that it's coming from. And I'll never forget that knock. Just bang, 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 bang. And my dad storms up the stairs. We try to play it cool. We're like, let's just pretend like nothing happened. Okay, good plan. And he tears in. And he comes in like, what? happened and he's trying to figure out like what just happened and he's beside himself I remember him going to my brother like am I crazy right now and I'm like don't answer that that's a trap that's a trap don't answer and then there's another layer beneath it right like okay what happened you're shooting rocks out the window at cars but then there's that next level of like how did this happen like, how did we get to this level? There's like a couch on the roof. Like, how did this happen? And that's kind of what we're going to walk through is Paul kind of gives this church, and they go away and, and do the one thing that isn't okay. And we're going to walk through that. What happened, and how did it happen? See, the what happened is clear, and I hope you kind of saw it. It was repeated over and over. Here's the nuts and the bolts. There are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. A distorted gospel was preached in their midst, and they were starting to believe it. 
So you're kind of worst case scenario of hearing about your loved ones. Which of you, the worst case scenario is your kid called you and said, Dad, I don't think I'm good enough. I feel like if I don't get baptized, God won't love me. Nobody said that one? That is far closer to what Paul is more concerned with than all of the stuff we're scared about happening to them. It was a a distortion of the gospel that they allowed to run rampant in their church. I think kind of looking at what happened at Galatians, this parable of Christ paints a good picture of kind of what happened here. The kingdom of heaven, this is Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. It's kind of a massive landscape of the New Testament. What it's written is Paul being a missionary, traveling around, telling people about Jesus, telling people about the gospel, that God can forgive you if you put your faith and hope in the cross. And then throughout the New Testament area, as Paul traveled around as a missionary, there was a group of missionaries that followed him. Martin Luther called these the devil's missionaries. So we're going to run with that. If you don't see the importance of missions, I want you to know that if we don't have missionaries out there spreading the truth, that the devil has missionaries out there spreading lies. So what happened, this church that Paul plants, kind of the devil's missionaries come in, and they start to plant seeds distorting the gospel. And so here's what they said. Hey, yeah, God loves you, but you need to be circumcised as well. Like what Jesus did is not enough. You need to go through these religious steps and these religious rituals for God to really love you. Maybe you're saying like, hey, I'm not Jewish, but I think I'm circumcised. Like, are we good? Like the sermon? It's not just about circumcision. He goes on to say, if anybody preaches anything contrary to that, let him be accursed. So, The devil sends his missionaries to plant seeds, distorting the gospel, and those are starting to take root. This is so crucial in understanding, and even just for your own spiritual health. Irenaeus, he's a second century church father, one of those famous church fathers, kind of talked about how the devil's missionaries work. Look at this quote. Error indeed is never set forth in its naked deformity, lest it should at once be detected. It is craftily decked out in an attractive dress so as by outward form to make it appear more true than the truth itself. So part of you got to realize how lies are going to work. You don't have to deny Christ. They didn't deny Christ. They didn't deny the cross, but they distorted the gospel. And that's how it's going to happen. You've got to wrap your head around. So many people think, oh, okay, there's going to be lies. Of course there's going to be lies. It's not an outright denial of the truth. It's something that sounds really true that just distorts the gospel. So Paul comes through and plants gospel seeds 
of God's love for you that you can experience by grace and nothing else. And then the devil sends his missionaries to plant seeds behind that. Yeah. No, God loves you, but you better be a good Christian and go to church enough. God can't really love you about your sin. You need to be a good person for God to really love somebody like you. And he just distorts the gospel. Yeah, believe Jesus. He's great. Ah, oh, the cross. I don't know how necessary it is, but you need to follow his teachings. That's what Jesus is about. You know, it doesn't, yeah, have faith. Have faith in Jesus, but as long as you believe in something, right? I mean, as long as you have faith, like, why would God send somebody to hell that has faith? Doesn't that one sound more true than the truth itself? Look, God loves you so much, he sent his son to die for you so that you could be saved. It doesn't even sound more loving to say, God will love you. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you have some faith. That's the gospel, and then adding more things on top of the gospel. That's crazy, but it's crafty. And you don't have to deny Christ, you just have to distort it. To say all religions are the same, it's like saying all karates are the same, right? It's like saying there's no difference between Cobra Kai and Miyagi-Do karate. It's crazy, right? You watch Karate Kid, it's classic, right? Right, you know, there's, look... Yeah, maybe they have some superficial similarities, but they're fundamentally different. Sweeping the leg and the crane kick. I'm getting passionate. I'm sorry. But, look, do you understand? Here is what the world wants to tell you about all the other world religions. Yes, they're fundamentally the same with some superficial differences. That is flipped. There are superficial similarities, but they're fundamentally different than the gospel. Religion is about what you do for God. The gospel about, is about what God has done for you. So that's what happened. Paul plants seeds of the gospel, and then people came to this region after him and planted seeds that kind of sounded like the gospel, but distorted. God doesn't just love you by grace. You need to do a little bit more than that, whatever that is. So that's what happened. And I'm going to kind of take it to the next layer beneath that. How does something like that happen? I mean, this is Paul's church. When Paul's in Galatia, there are miracles happening. He's literally writing the Bible to them. Like, you'd think they have a leg up, and here they are saying, about to desert God. How does this happen? Do you know how somebody deserts God and walks away from him? Unintentionally. Unintentionally. I want you to let that sink in. Because that is so much of what jumped out at me of studying this situation. They were end up deserting God. Let me ask you something. Do you think the Galatians' desire was to walk away from God? Do you think the devil's missionary sales pitch was like, hey, do you want to desert God and follow the devil and, and do some drugs? No, it, they were crafty. They said something that kind of sounded super loving to get you to buy into it. So here they are, desiring to maybe even love God more fully and deserting God. 
you ask the Galatians, I guarantee none of them said, how did you end up deserting God? Because that's what we wanted to do. If you, have you ever in your life gone on a road trip or went to visit somewhere and ended up lost? Raise your hand. Get your hand up. Don't be the guy, I've never been lost. We, you all have been lost. You ended up lost. Let me ask you something. Did you intend to be lost? No. Nobody intends to get lost. But guess what? Sometimes we're lost. Even if it's, guys, we can't admit it. It doesn't mean we ain't lost, right? It is easy. Do you know how many? I've rarely come across somebody that says, I'm done with God. I'm walking away from him. I've talked to tons of people that end up veering away from God, veering away from the gospel, but still say, no, I love God. I still love God. I want to honor him. And they could be genuine. Because you can desire to want to walk with God and still end up deserting him. Because what happens? Rarely do you say, God, I want to desert you. You end up being deceived by a distorted gospel that sounds loving, but isn't the pure gospel. And you end up straying from him and straying from the gospel. You've got to understand we as people, how does something like this happen? As human beings, we are prone to wander at him, right? Prone to leave the God I love. And I can still love God and end up walking away from him. You got to get that into your head. How easy it is to wander away from him, even if you don't mean to or want to. This astonishment, did you catch it? Like, I'm astonished that you so quickly walked away. That's a phrase from God's people when they were in the wilderness. So after, you know, Moses takes kind of Old Testament, takes God's people out of Israel, takes Israel out of Egypt with the ten plagues, right? I mean, they have this crazy encounter with God. This is God split the seas, right? I mean, they just like walk through dry ground, and then God saves them, right? Can you imagine the worship night they had after walking through the Red Sea? Like, we just had a worship night. It was great. You imagine their worship night, full haze is going like, you split that sea, and I just walked right through it. Like, what? They'd have a flag team going. I mean, it would be, as the kids say, it'd be lit. It'd be, it'd be lit. God parts the Red Sea. They walk through it. Moses is like, man, that was awesome. I'm going to go on the mountain. God's going to write a notebook into rock with his very finger. I'm going to be right back. He comes back down. They're worshiping a golden calf. You imagine Moses like, what just happened? Like, God just took us. Remember that sea right there? It opened up, and now you're worshiping a golden calf. So quickly you got to understand how we are prone to wander. You ever have an encounter with God? Just powerful, you know he was there. And then like two days later, you're like, God, where are you? I don't know if you exist. Yes, you have. We're prone to wander. And you got to understand how easy it is for you to walk away from God if you don't fix your eyes on him. Because the second our eyes easily drift off him, we're easily distracted. And what did Paul say? Look, am I now serving people or am I serving Christ? Because you can't do both. So what happened here? They took their eyes off Jesus. 
for a moment. And then the devil's missionaries came in and it got popular. It is hard to resist the pressure of what is popular in our culture. To stand up here and say, no, Jesus is the only way. That's not popular. And if I start worrying more about people pleasing, what people think about me and what people think are true, we're in trouble. That's how it happens. You get busy with life. You got a lot of things going on. You got work and your eyes slip off of Jesus for a moment. And then the devil comes around and starts planting seeds. Man, are you good enough? Or can Jesus really be the only way? And after all you've done, and then what people, the distorted gospel starts to sound truer than the truth. Here's the thing. Once you get to the point where what people say become more important about what God says, we're in trouble. That's how you fall away. When God is no longer your authority of, wait, this is how this world works. Look at this that Paul said in this passage. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Look, he's saying it doesn't matter who's saying it. It matters if it's true and from God. Cracks me up when people say, well, I think as long as, you know, you believe in something. Does what you think determine how the justice of the universe works? The answer is no. And I'm about to yell. Right? No! Like, how crazy is that? Because we think, oh, what they say, or, oh, that sounds convincing. And I love, he's about to lose it here. He's like, I don't care who tells you. It's like, I don't care if Bernie Kozar himself preaches a different gospel, don't believe it. I don't care if on your front porch, Aaron Burr, George Washington, and the entire Hamilton cast preach to you and sing to you a new gospel, don't believe it. Like, he's losing it here. Like, it doesn't matter, none of that matters. What you think, what I think doesn't matter. What that fancy preacher thinks doesn't matter. What God ordained and what God says is true is what matters. Listen to what Martin Luther says about this. It's like here Paul is breathing fire. His zeal is so fervent that he almost begins to curse the angels themselves. I don't care if the angels say, let me translate that for the younger folks in our midst, man. Here Paul is... You know, f fire, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I try to be relevant with the millennials and the Zeddy Optical. You feel me? You know, 100% right. All right. All right. That's what happened. Like, people started teaching something that was adding to Jesus. And they started believing it because they took their eyes off Christ and what people said started to sound really convincing. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? I mean, why is Paul so unbelievably passionate about this? Like, I'm up here telling you that all of those bad things that you thought of in the beginning, that this is far worse. Like, if somebody sent your kid a link to pornography and a link to pluralism, that that link to pluralism is more dangerous. But I don't know that we'd vote that way. Why? you got to understand Paul's passion for this. I want you to, part of how we know how important this is, 
for Paul is comparing it to his other letters. Paul starts every letter, almost every letter, about the same way. I'll just read you a couple of the first lines from each letter. Ephesians. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Philippians. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers. Colossians. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Thessalonians. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. Galatians. I'm astonished that you quickly deserted the gospel, and I hope that you're cast into hell if you distort it again. Which one of these is not like the other one? Not like. I just read a couple. Read them all. Paul always starts with giving thanks. Listen, in those churches, jacked up stuff was happening in all of them, and he give, gives thanks. Except here, this is the one thing that you can't compromise. So how can I be so passionate? Here's why. If you talk about abuse, you talk about fears for your kids, you know, of sickness, addiction, pornography, all those things are real and matter. Why can't you do this? Because all those things harm, only one thing in this world can heal you. All those things are very real but only one thing can heal you. And if you distort that road to healing, all these messed up things can harm you, will ultimately kill you. You can't eliminate the one thing that saves you. That's why he's passionate. The gospel and only the gospel and only the pure gospel can save, and you can't distort it, you can't tweak it, you can't pollute it, or all hope is gone regardless of what you've been through. So I want us to clearly understand the gospel, to never compromise when it comes to the gospel and to cling to it. Even some of that to clarify it, I want to show a clip from the Sandlot, and that's how you know I'm serious. Like, there's no higher cinematography in the catalog than Sandlot, right? So I think this is a great picture to clearly understand the gospel and where we go. You're in trouble, aren't you, son? Yeah, well, uh, that was my stepdad's ball. I took it without asking. It was signed by Babe Ruth. George signed this? George Herman Ruth? Yeah. I take it back. You're not in trouble. You're dead where you stand. Hold on. trade you. That's really nice of you, but that ball really is signed by Babe Ruth. So is this one, with the rest of the 1927 Yankees. Oh, man. Murderer's Row. Lou Gehrig. Babe Ruth. But why would you trade? That one's all chewed up. I got a lot of good stuff. Look at that stuff. Besides, you needed more than I do. I don't think we could take this ball. I'll tell you what. 
you guys come by here once a week and talk baseball with me, we'll call it an even trade. Deal. You didn't know the Sandlot was about the gospel, but it is. That's a gospel interaction. Like it's a great picture of what our hope is. In so much of the movie, hopefully you've seen it, and if you haven't seen it, why not? Come on. It's about them and the mess they made and trying to get out of that and resolve it. And ultimately it comes to you can't resolve it. Like you can't get out of and improve the mess that you've made. And that's all of religion, is to try to clean up your messed up ball and try to cover your tracks and try to become better and improve your situation. And then finally it's resolved at the end, how? You just knock on the door and admit, look, I've messed up. I got no hope. It's almost unbelievable, right? Like, I even love Benny the Jet's response. Like, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Like, that really was, like, I've really messed up my life. Like, I don't even know, like, why would you take this trade? Like, why would you take my horrible mess and give me life? I love what he says. There's nothing you could do to earn it. Why don't you just come over and we could talk baseball? He invites them into relationship. God wants to have a relationship with you. And he's not waiting till you clean your life up for it to be okay. And I love even that scene. They're so afraid to knock on the door because they're afraid that, you know, they're going to get judgment. He says, here, I'll take it. Give me your mess, and I will give you grace and forgiveness. That's the offer that's unbelievably hard to even imagine. It is grace. I don't even know that we could take this. Why would you do this trade? Because God loves you. And you can't earn it. All you have to do is ask for it and receive it. You've got to humble yourself. And this is where Christianity, the gospel, is fundamentally different than everything else. People want you to believe that God's word, that the gospel is good advice. The gospel, that word, means news. It's good news, not good advice. News is telling somebody about an event that has already happened. I want you guys to think about it this way. Say you're just kind of crushed in debt, medical bills, school debt, credit card bills. Here's good advice. Hey, here's how to budget. Tighten this up. Do this or do that. Here's good news. Hey, Somebody came in last night and paid off all your debt. Do you see the difference? God isn't telling you, be better. He's saying, hey, if you just give me your mess, I want to have a relationship with you, and I can forgive you of that all that mess that you made. And so never compromise it. Never stray from it for a moment and cling to it. This isn't just for new believers that you just put your faith in. I want you to walk in it. Some of you, prone to wander, have wandered into shame. 
And you know at that point, you've walked away from the gospel. Because the gospel about grace means you're forgiven and there's no condemnation and no shame. Fix your eyes on him. Your purity didn't save you. Your sobriety didn't save you. Your reading your Bible didn't save you. Coming to church didn't save you. So why do you think that that is now what you need to do for God to love you? It never has, it never was. It was always grace based off of the news that Jesus forgave you. Don't you dare add to that for a moment. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? God, it is hard to wrap our heads around. That's why I love that clip. It almost seems unbelievable that you could really love somebody like me. There's nothing that we could do to pay for that. That you offer us grace and and offer us forgiveness. God, please, help us not only to believe that, never compromise it, but to cling to it and rest in that, that Christ is enough. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.